Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. We're in a series called Spring Forth, and today's message is called The Power of a Cause. The Power of a Cause. Now, a cause, what is a cause? A cause is something that um, we are committed to, a movement, um, a principle, something that you would defend, something that you would advocate for, something ultimately that you would give your life for is a cause. And has anyone here heard of a guy called Socrates? The philosopher, Greek philosopher. Maybe it's Socrates or Socrates. <laughs> Socrates, I think. Socrates, I've got them both long. <laughs> Socrates. <laughs> anyway, he was the discipler of Plato. No, Plato, I got Yeah, 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 yeah. Plato, I got that one right. He was, he was Plato's discipler. And, um, but there was something different about Socrates because he was a very simple man. No heirs, no graces. Um, he lived a very simple life. He, didn't, he refused all reward or, or payment for his teaching. Um, and he chose to live in relative poverty for someone so smart. Um, but you know what? Sometimes very, very smart people are quite... Um, uh, unique in that sense. And so anyway, when he's walking through the streets of Athens, can you picture that in your mind? Can you have a vision of the streets of Athens back then? He, would, uh, he wouldn't have stood out as anyone particularly prominent or gifted or anything like that. But he had a particular purpose in doing this as he walked around and he's kind of probably quite rough cloak, barefoot, no shoes, he never wore shoes. He would confront his kinsmen and the people that he came across in the street. And um, them all being, you know, probably mostly Greek, he would confront them about their traditions and, and he would probe them. He would say, so this, you're, why, you know, why are you doing this? You have this tradition, why are you doing it? He would kind of say, listen, are you doing this passively or do you really understand what you're doing? Where are you on your way to? Oh, I'm going to this place to do this. He says, why? He would always be, bring a question, why are you doing this? Have you given any thought as to why you go to church every Sunday? Have you given any thought as to why you do this particular ritual or you have this particular habit? And... Um, he knew that sometimes people done many things, held on to many things with no thought, with no thought about it. No, they never thought about why they did these things. They were simply behaviors and rituals that they had. And Socrates, his purpose was to prick their conscience and shock them out of their complacency. It's like, why are you doing this? You're essentially just wasting your time. And so he would confront them with statements like, do you understand what you're talking about? Or are you just repeating something that someone else said 
and you've given no mental effort into understanding what that means. And so he wanted people to think about their thinking. How many people think about their thinking or do we just think? Or do we think about what we think? And so, you know, sometimes people can be spiritually and mentally lazy people. We're very accepting. We hear something, and until something better comes along, I think I'm going to stick with that. That makes a little bit of sense to me. Or it might not make sense, much sense at all, but you know what? Socrates is much more clever than me, so I'm just going to accept what he has to say. And we don't do the, the mental work or the spiritual work to find out if what is being said is true. And in the times that we live in today, I, is my observation, don't know about you guys, that many people take a position on something, they take a side, and they get quite passionate about it. Let's put it this way, they embrace a cause without fully understanding exactly what it is that they've taken on. They pick a side. I'm going to take this side. But if you really probe them, if you really ask them, do you understand what it is this stands for? What is your cause? What is their cause all about? You've taken it on as your cause. Do you really understand it? I wonder how coherent an answer you'd get from many people. No, I do this because I think I've found my tribe. This is, I'm taking that side because I see an injustice here. Socrates, Socrates, I'm going to get this wrong all morning. Socrates, <laughs> he had a very well-proven method of discipling people. And we're moving into a year, I believe, where we're going to have a discipleship focus. And it was very informal. He believed in getting people around a meal table, food, a table, get people round, and then he would determine to find out or draw out if the, res the results of the thoughts that people were thinking were based on anything. Were they just phony? Phony is a good word. You know, empty. Um, you know, are you, 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 you're siding with a vision or whatever, but you, it's empty, it's phony. Or he would listen to them and he would observe whether their thoughts were full of truth and life. They gave life. And so, you know, a lot of times we, some things that we have visions for, unless they're God-given visions, they can be pie in the sky. Those visions can be easily dropped, put on the shelf, forgotten about, because in a way they're phony. They are, there's no substance to them. Um, it just is something that came in, it could, and it could have, we could have been influenced by anything. The, the problem is thoughts give birth to actions. So whoever is planting thoughts in your life, wherever those thoughts or wherever your, your thinking is coming from, those thoughts would normally give birth eventually to action. Do you agree with that? Yes. Who plants the thoughts there? Media, a website, a friend, a group of friends, something you've read somewhere. There's always 
There are always thoughts being implanted in our heads. So Socrates has this kind of discipleship thing going. And um, he's helping people to find out, is what you believe, is it real, based in truth, grounded, or is it just, are you just deceiving yourself? Is, is, what you, is this just, are you living in a counterfeit existence? It looks and feels real, but it's not sincere. How many people, if they were challenged with um, or confronted with um, the truth that their way of thinking is pretty messed up, your, your beliefs are based on things that are non-existent, really, how many of those people, if confronted with that, would continue to give their all for that? How many people would put their flag in on, stick their flag in the ground and die, die on that hill for what they believe if they were confronted with the fact that the cause that you believe in is a hollow cause and it has no foundation in truth at all? How many people would have the humility to, to recognize that what they were living for was really had no substance at all and they would give that up but we are so stubborn people, we are going to go on and die for this cause that means nothing at all. In, the, in God's word in John chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus is with Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says to Jesus, are you a king then? Jesus answers him and says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, can you imagine, Pilate, this next sentence that comes out of his mouth? And I don't really know how he said this. It might have been dripping with sarcasm. I'm not really sure. Pilate says to Jesus, what is truth? And when he had said this to Jesus, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Jesus is standing in front of Pilate and all his life he's lived up until that moment. His cause has carried him up until that meeting where his life will be decided. We know from that point on, it was the day traditionally where they would exchange people. And you say, okay, well, let's have Barabbas. You keep Jesus for the crucifixion. The crowd were baying for his blood. And I believe that Jesus had a choice at that time. And when he stood in front of Pilate, he had a choice at that time whether to go through with this whole thing and go to the cross. He had the power and the backup, all the resources of heaven, legions of angels. He could have taken dominion of that situation and walked right out of it. But he chose to go beyond the point of no return. 
And the thing that took him over the point of no return was the momentum of his cause. Every cause has momentum. The thing that will take you further than you ever thought you could go is the momentum you have because of the cause that you live for. Jesus said in Hebrews 12.2, sorry, in Hebrews 12.2 it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he had this momentum. And here's Jesus in front of Pilate and he is bearing witness to the truth. That's his supreme claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life, isn't it? That's, that's his words. I am the truth. I bear witness of the truth. I believe that the noblest cause that you can ever stand for is to stand for the truth. And the truth for a Christian is found in the unadulterated word of God. That's the truth. The truth is between these black leather covers in this book. That's the truth. That's the truth by which we live. It's the truth that sometimes we struggle to believe. It's the truth that sometimes we wrestle with. But nonetheless, it is the truth. And the truth without the Holy Spirit, thank God when you give your life to Jesus, he doesn't just leave you like, okay, get on with it. He sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came into your life. Hey, Gail, Angela, Marlene, Debbie, Liz, Mary, all of us, no matter how long ago, if you were saved in the 60s, 70s, 80s, whenever you were saved, thank God we got the Holy Spirit then to reveal more of the truth to us. Because we don't always know what, if, if you don't know the truth, how can you be set free? You need the truth to be set free, and the Holy Spirit helps us understand the truth. The truth without the Holy Spirit is just something that we might give mental assent to, but it's never really alive. The truth never really comes alive. And we always talk about in this church about following the way, his ways. And God's ways of thinking are the closest we will ever get to truth. And that's why when we pray, pray that you're led into truth. Father God, I know this is, I know this, with humbly I ask, let my thoughts be as your thoughts because he thinks truth, he is truth. Yes. He wants us to live in truth, yeah? And there's a realm of truth that relates to us in our relationship with what's divine, what's heavenly, what is kingdom. Do we really understand what is kingdom? What his kingdom is and what is to come? Do we understand it? And when we discover the truth, we begin to understand who we are in relation to God. And we got to remember there were certain things that ought to have been. Because God had a plan from the very beginning. Do you believe that? Yes. Certain things ought to have been, but through deception, the things that were ought to have been were interrupted. But God stepped in. Jesus came. He righted that, and now we know that God is going to restore the things that ought to have been there in our future. A new heaven and a new earth. A coming kingdom. Amen? And so, God will not be mocked. He's going to restore his kingdom. And we 
understand, have to understand the need for redemption and the relation of body, soul, and spirit. And we teach that a lot in, in this church, how these different realms of our lives interact. But at the center of it all has to be truth. When Jesus said to Pilate, when everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, that makes me, that sobers me up. Because the amount of times I do not hear his voice, I've got to wonder, am I straying away from the truth? When we don't hear his voice, are we, is there more, is there something that is talking louder than his word? And when we begin to lose our connection with the truth, we begin to embrace another truth. Okay? So, it makes us sober. It should make us sober in our thinking and concentrate our efforts and focus into knowing the voice of the Good Shepherd and following it, obeying it, because it's truth. It's our supreme authority. Amen? And knowing what the truth stands for and that we can stand on the truth because he is, Christ is the truth. Yeah? He, you know, Jesus, everything he did, he did by truth. He conquered by truth. He had dominion by truth. He rules and he commands by truth. Everything was based in truth. And it's a truth that is undeniable. Satan could not deny it. The enemy could not deny it. Demons that Jesus spoke to and commanded to leave, people that were possessed, they could not deny it. Everything came from the truth. Everything. The truth. So what happens when, when we speak truth? What happens when we find the truth, embrace the truth, live for it, exhibit it, be witnesses of it, speak it, and we go out into our world every day and we speak the truth? It's going to make a difference. It can't not make a difference. Amen? Ultimately, no one and nothing can stand against the truth. God has planned the end of this present earth. And he has a kingdom in store for those who would cling to his truth. Not another truth. There only is one truth. And that's the one worth hanging on to. Amen. Now, I, I understand that there's reality. Oh, Pastor David, you don't understand. This is my reality. And these are the facts. And this is my, you know, I used to, uh, when I was, got into sales, someone uh, you know, even the salesmen would try and neg each other out. It was, a, it was a term for trying to get one up on your colleague. You know, you'd, you'd, at the start of the day, if you could get in someone's head, they wouldn't sell anything that day. They'd try and, they would try and, 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 and neg, neg you out. They would just try and um, make everything negative. And so, um, I forgot, I've lost my trail of thought there. What was I talking about? So, um, yeah, they would try and neg you out. And I think that sometimes things try and get in our minds, into our spirits to try and neg us out, to try and bring negativity. And we've got to cling on to the truth. Amen. So if you say, you know, these are these, oh, yes, that's right. Perception is reality. That's the thing. So my one sales manager said to me, David, perception is reality. So if you perceive that everything's conspiring against you so that you're going to have a bad day, that is your reality. That might be your truth, but there is another, there's a higher truth. 
There's a higher truth. So there are, there are, there, there is like reality. These are the facts. And there is things that you're like, do you know what? This is my truth. This is my world. But it doesn't make it a universal saving truth, a truth that saves you. And that's the truth that we have to offer people, truth that saves them and brings them out of their daily, let's just call it what everyone calls it, the daily grind. And people say, ah, oh, what, you know, where are you going? I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm on the grind. My, my, that's such a bleak vision, you know. Some guy standing over some just monotonous, and this is the grind, the daily grind. It doesn't have to be that way. John 8, 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we just got to pray. Lord, lead me into your truth. Lead me into your truth. Guide me into your truth. And stick with it. It's a, you have to be patient. Stick with it. And the thing is, though, here we go. Oh, I'm looking. I'm searching for truth. God says, okay, there's the truth. I'm revealing the truth to you. Do we have the humility then to receive the truth? It's one thing searching for it, but when it comes, and it, it comes home to roost, will you accept the truth? I find it hard to accept the truth about myself sometimes. And the reality is that, that I, I, I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of many things that I've done in my past. Ashamed of some of the things I do in my present. I'm like, this is not good. But God always brings truth. He confronts us with truth. Pontius Pilate was confronted with the truth. He makes a sarcastic statement. So what is truth? But you know what? Pilate just dived straight in headlong into what many of us will do. Try and appease two sides. Try and keep everybody happy. Will we listen to the wisdom of the world or what the crowd says? Or will we stick with the scales of justice? God is a just God. He speaks truth and truth. We, we, we judge according to the truth. Amen. You know, sometimes I, I, I put a little sign next to my notes here because I think I'm going to get um, mail after this for this one. I'm going to get messages. Sometimes we've got to be very careful that out of pride... And out of this dreaded fear of being seen as being hard-hearted or a bigot, and that is wrong, don't be bigoted, and don't be hard-hearted. But a lot, a lot of times the world looks on us and thinks we are. We are, we are, we are bigoted, we are judgmental, we condemn people. But we've got to be careful that we... Sometimes I think it is we want to appear to be more just than God himself. Too afraid to truly hold his values dear, we exalt ourselves as more caring and more compassionate and more loving. And no one can be more loving than God. But some, uh, uh, this, 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 this just came into my spirit yesterday when, when I was thinking about today. We don't want to cause offense to anyone, but we don't want to uphold the truth. 
So we give in to appease both sides. But actually what we're doing is trying to make ourselves look more loving and more compassionate and more caring than God is. And that is terrible. I know that many, you might not agree with me, but you, we have to be careful that we don't do that. We have to stick with the truth. Even if, even if it hurts. So what happens? Do we make peace or do we compromise with our accusers or do we stay with the truth that will bring shame on them? Or do we crucify Christ every day because we don't have the courage to hold on to the truth? And you know what? The truth has a way of reaching people in, with love and in tenderness. I'm not, I'm not saying you become hard and do you know what fire and brimstone won't convert people who are hard who are hard-hearted but the way that Jesus has shown us to believe the truth live by it to display it that's the way in which men are saved and they they say do you know what now now I understand now I see I see a bit of Jesus in you I see Jesus in your life they see the attractiveness of the kingdom of God and Jesus, and then it's attractive. And what does attraction do? It draws people towards it. And this was Jesus' cause, to be a witness of the truth. Everything that the enemy, the works of the enemy, they're deconstructed and they're destroyed by the truth. The only dominion that we can have, and God says, you have dominion, I'm giving you Dominion, you're stewards now over all that I've given you is by truth. We can't dominate by any other means except by the truth. And we have to apply truth to the minds and hearts of people that we meet. And we have to, first of all, be in the truth. Amen? Yes. So do we think about what we're thinking about? Do we think about what we're saying? Do we think about it? Is... is, is is how, do we embrace the cause of Christ the way he did? Here's another man who had a cause. David, 1 Samuel 17, 29. David's, you know the story. He's out there now in the, on the battlefield. And there's a valley. And there's this giant who's standing in the valley. There's all the Philistines up one side and the armies of Israel up the other side. David comes on the scene. He was on an errand. And he hears what's going on. He hears his brothers and the other soldiers talking about this impossible situation because of this giant, Goliath. And he comes here and he says in verse 29, David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and he said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And so Saul sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine, this giant. And Saul said to David, no, you can't go against this Philistine to fight with him because you are just a boy. You're just a youth. And he's been a man of war since he was a youth. I read that and I thought, I can sense David's frustration. I can sense his outrage. All of you guys are standing here and not one of you is doing anything about this guy. 
He's mocking our God. Yeah? He's hurling insults at you. Quit yourselves as men. I can almost sense the, the, the kind of the, the anger in him. He can't understand why no one's going to go up against Goliath. No one was ready for that. That was obvious because this happened over days, this taunting. So David, on the other, he'd been prepared. He'd been anointed. He was getting ready. He had already a vision in his heart for the future. And no doubt he held on to that. He's like, I'm going, I know I'm going to do great things for God. In that very moment, the vision that he had graduated to a cause. It graduated, it became a cause. And so I think all the men or the soldiers, they were probably thinking of the victory party. You know, the victory celebration. They're like, do you know what? We really should have this thing done and dusted by now. If it wasn't for that one guy, this giant, if it wasn't for him, we'd have this done. But that, they might have been thinking about victory, but that just, just having a vision for something doesn't get the job done. We can all have a vision for something, but it doesn't get the job done. And so someone was going to have to spring forth. Someone was going to have to spring up, spring forward, and someone was going to have to go and do it. So the least likely, this should give us all a little bit of encouragement, the least likely candidate stands up. The least likely, in all of the eyes of everyone else, the least likely guy who was, the Bible says he was ruddy and good looking. I don't know what ruddy means, but maybe he was like, yeah. It wasn't a big, big stature. But you know what changed the atmosphere that day? Not, not David's physicality, his words. His words changed the atmosphere. For all of those seasoned soldiers standing there next to him, for all of them standing there in worldly fear, David's words were elevated above the world and they became heavenly words. They became supernatural words. When David spoke out, it changed everything. It changed the atmosphere it, became, it no longer became a contest between David and Goliath. It became a contest between God and the gods that, small g, that they served. And God was not going to be mocked. Amen. Amen. So that day, one champion was going up and another champion was going down. They put, the enemy put forward their best champion and he was going down. Amen. And that is exactly what happened. So David's words straightened the backbone of all of those men. You know the story. David went out slinging a stone, right, sunk it right into Goliath's forehead, and then the rest of them fled because of a cause. The momentum of a cause took him onto that battlefield prepared, and he'd done it. The rest of the army thought, now we're going to get our victory, our victory party and they chased the Philistines for miles and miles and uh, gave them a good doing. <laughs> yes, a good doing. And I think, you know, this is, you know, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. You might be dealing with a problem, an intimidating problem in your life or an atmosphere in your home or your life or in your workplace, something like that. And for some of us, it might appear to be a giant problem. But there's a cause. And if you state your cause and you declare it 
and you base it on truth, that, has, that giant has to fall. That giant has to fall. Amen. Our, what is our cause as Christians? What is your cause? What cause do you hold dear? Our cause is to see God's will being accomplished and bringing people into victory by the truth of his word. That's our cause, to see God's will being accomplished and to bring people into a place of victory. That's, and, and that's what our cause is. There's a difference between a vision and a cause. There's nothing wrong with a vision. The Bible says in Proverbs that we need to have a vision because what happens without a vision? People perish. Proverbs 29, 18 says that. And when you go to work, I'm sure that wherever you go to work, if you start a new job, they say, right, there's your employee handpack and the vision statements in there and the rules and the conduct and the blah and the blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the vision statement, you know, and you've got to learn the vision. Why do, why do they want you to have a vision statement? Why do they want you to know the vision statement? It's so that they can bring all of their employees and all of their workers into the same flow, going in the same direction, going towards the same place of the ultimate aim or goal. But the truth is a lot of visions fall by the wayside. A lot of visions are never achieved. And it's not because they were bad visions. It's just because maybe someone didn't count the cost before setting off. The Bible says count the cost. You can have a vision for an amazing thing, but the Bible says count the cost before you build it. So it might have been a good vision, but you've not maybe counted the cost or maybe you haven't really understood the effort required to get the vision done. Maybe it's just the effort required exceeded what was possible. Or maybe there was a strong excitement for it and a zeal at the beginning, but it just, you know, it petered out. It just began to wane away. And then what happens is the vision just goes on the, on the side, on the shelf, or it gets dropped This is not a message to say you must just have a cause and a cause alone. You have to have a vision. A vision is a blueprint. A vision helps you still keep your eyes on where we're going. It keeps us moving along the path that God's shown us. We have a vision for Kilwinning. We have a vision for Ayrshire. We have a vision for Scotland. We all hold on to these micro visions for different areas of our life. It's necessary. When things get tough and hard, the vision keeps us moving towards the end. It can, we stay on track. We can imagine the reward of reaching the end. It's just like Paul's life was turned around. Did you know Paul on the road to Damascus? He was murdering Christians, persecuting them. He was a, he was a horrible bloke, Paul. But then he was knocked off his horse, and this is what God said to him in Acts 26. He says, who are you, Lord? This is after getting knocked off his horse. He says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen from me and what I'll show you. And I'll rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you out to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who sanctified by faith in me. Verse 19, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So Paul was given this vision 
of reaching these people to turn them from the power of darkness to the power of light. He stayed obedient to the vision, but he also then from that moment had a cause to live for. No longer was his cause to kill Christians. His cause was to make Christians. If the vision gets too hard, sometimes you need the cause to keep you going. Paul, Paul's ministry, he kept, he, the Bible says that he, he had a thorn in his flesh. He had a thorn in his side, and a lot of people have got a lot of, done a lot of study into that. Well, why? Why did God give him a thorn in his flesh, a thorn in his side? The Bible says it was sent to buffet him. Maybe it was to keep him grounded. Maybe it was to, you know, it was to bring everything into balance. But Paul continued with that vision, with that mission, with that cause, despite the hardship of going through that. A lot of us, we get the hardship and we give up. What, if we're following, if we're doing this your way and we're doing it in your will, Lord, why is it so hard? Why am I getting, why is this happening? Just remember Paul. He had to just keep on going. It's a total faith commitment. A cause is a total faith commitment. A cause will consume you. You won't give up with a cause. A vision is something that you have, that you possess, but a cause possesses you. We can all have a vision. I can put it up on my wall, above my desk. But a cause is something that's inside me and it never goes to sleep. It always keeps on going forward. Has anyone here felt like dropping their head and giving up before. I think every, every hand would go up. We've all felt that way. A cause means that you don't quit. Quitting's not an option. And it's hard going forward in a society, in a godless society. And whenever we take the truth out there into a secular wor world, it's going to be hard. It's, we live in a post, in many ways, I heard the other day, some, some countries are being, have the title now of being post-Christian nations. We live in a post-Christian nation and we'll be challenged. That's the least that we can expect. And when you have a cause and you build the kingdom, it's not glamorous. <laughs> it's not glamorous. It's hard work. It's serious commitment. And I believe that everyone in this room has that, what it takes. It's not glamorous. Some people think it's glamorous, but it's not glamorous. It takes man hours. It takes people. It takes you. It takes finance. It takes planning. It needs maintaining. You know, we've we got to be thankful. You know, we, we, live, we live in the, with this, a lot of the advantages that our forebears sacrificed for. They gave up, they sacrificed, they had a cause, and now we are enjoying the fruits. But what's happening is all of that stuff that they worked for is being eroded faster than you could say, boo to a goose. It is, you know. They gave up, they volunteered, they gave up, they sacrificed, and they built things. And this is one of the things that, that's, that prevails in the culture out there, entitlement narcissism, all of these different things are happening out there and people don't sacrifice for the greater good. There's a, there's a spirit of narcissism, self-centeredness, and we must be careful not to allow that to come into the church. 
because it can infiltrate into the church. It can infiltrate into your faith, into your Christian life. I heard something this week that within five generations, you can go from being from pioneering to disappearing. The first generation, they go out there and they build something out of nothing. They give their all. They, they literally do die on the hill. They plant it. They build it. That's what they do. They make a great sacrifice. The next generation still have a connection with the first generation. And they have a sense of wanting to continue the work. They're the maintainers of the work. They're very close to that first generation. They, they don't forget the sacrifices that were made. All right? The third generation assume that everything that we've got is just normal. It becomes normality. And there's already a slight disconnect to the first generation. Because the first generation might be in the process of passing away. And so an element of we've got all this. It's already been built, done for us. We have a sense of entitlement now about it. That's why we can never stop having a thankful heart, church. And so what happens is this element of entitlement begins to creep in. The fourth generation, they are most likely to mismanage and corrupt what the first generation built. They become indebted. They have morality issues. And they become far removed from their, the first generation, their forebears. And sadly, finally, the fifth generation. These poor people live in the ruins of what was originally intended for good. And they look back to the beginning of the movement. They, the, somehow they get a connection back to that first generation and they wish that somehow we could have all of that back again. That's the life cycle. We want it back. It's like looking back to the 80s. Oh, those were the, the, ninth, the 80s and the 90s. Pre-9-11. Pre, um, pre oh, wasn't life, wasn't life so good In actual fact, people begin to mourn for the things that were in the past. This is how important it is. Be of the generation that doesn't forget. Don't forget you're sitting in a building that was once a YMCA. Young Men's Christian Association. Young Women's Christian Association. The YMCA. Don't forget that in 1987, this church was planted here. Actually, it was in a crumbling little building over the street where you went into church, your foot went through the floor. But don't, don't forget, remember the founding truths. Remember the cause that someone had before you to go to a place and do something. Remember that in 1954, the mission hall was built on the other side of the town. Remember that. Let's never take it for granted. Let's never be in, feel entitled to what we have. Don't let let us not. If we fail to maintain, if we fail to build on what on the foundations that have been laid, if we fail, then we if we fail to do that, we will fail. Jesus laid the foundation. We build on it. Through successive generations, we build on it. If we don't build on it, we'll fail. And the way David, David was about his father's business when he stumbled across the opportunity to take out a giant and discover that his cause would change the course of the future. And the other thing is, 
although I make this all this morning sound very hard and difficult having a cause, there are benefits to having a cause. Because Saul said to David, whoever takes this giant out can have the hand of my daughter in marriage. (laughs) David, he's like, yeah, I'm for that. I I know who he's talking about. And he will have many riches, many riches in the hand of the king's daughter. There's a reward if we will hold on to our cause. There's a reward if we keep our eye on the prize instead of the present circumstances. The cause is greater than the giant. The giant was just an obstacle. In fact, the giant, I believe that the giant was as nothing to David. Because he knew the battle was the Lord's. It was already won. All he had to do was be there, declare the cause. For this cause, for this cause, I'm standing here. There's no way I'm going to stand here and let you insult my king, my God, my people. No way. It's not happening. And he did that. So get, get out there. Pursue the vision, but do it with a cause. And if you do it, Life's going to be an adventure. Life is not going to be dull. And uh, I believe that as God has given us not only a vision, but he's he's stirring something in the hearts of this church that we are going to hold on to that cause. Romans, last verse, Romans 11, 29, God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn never taken away. The gifts and callings of the Lord are without repentance. You, he, will, he will not remove them. If he's put something in your heart and it's gone to sleep, sh- let's give ourselves a shake. The best thing to do, or no, I better watch what I'm saying. One of the best things to do, come to church, dance, praise, praise, dance, shout, shout, have a shout of victory. And stand, stand for this cause, for this cause. And I believe that the future is going to be dramatically better than the present. And we've, we see good things, we see good fruit, but there's more to come. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.